want to invite you to open your Bibles to the very first page of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is in the Old Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, two of the scripture references we're going to be looking at are printed in the worship guide. And then when we get into the sermon, I'm going to be reading um, from Proverbs chapter 9, which we will have slides for, so you will be able to follow along. So we are in week two of a nine-week sermon series on the book of Proverbs. We started this series last week, and so just to give you a little bit of uh, context, uh, along with Job, Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, or Song of Songs, Proverbs is considered one of the wisdom books. Now, wisdom literature in the Bible is concerned with helping us to practically navigate life well. It's focused on the practical, daily, everyday stuff of life. We got into this uh, a lot last week, and we'll, we'll touch on this uh, idea again this morning. But the goal of Proverbs, the goal of wisdom literature, is to help us to truly flourish in the everyday stuff of life. And as I said last week, we could say that Proverbs wants to help increase our street smarts, all right? So that, that, that's our goal uh, in this study of Proverbs, is for God, by His Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to come alongside of us through the book of Proverbs, so that He might increase our street smarts. That's the goal. Uh, let me read uh, just the passage of Scripture that is printed in the worship guide, um, a few verses from chapter 1, and like I said, in a few moments, I'm going to be reading um, elsewhere from Proverbs, from chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Let's take a moment to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do what we talked about, to increase our street smarts through the word this morning. Holy Spirit, we look to you. We desperately need you. Uh, we don't want to simply hear your word, but we want to be able to do it. And in order to do your word, to actually embody it, enact it, live it out, to actually be wise, we need you to work inside of us. So we pray that you would do that uh, during this time as we look into your word. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would uh, give us words of wisdom and that you would do so regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, whether in this moment we are believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what we believe. Holy Spirit, come and reach us wherever we are. We trust that you will do this for the glory of Jesus and for our good. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Uh, back in July, may have been August, I mixed up now, July or August, uh, my family and I were in Maine for uh, a week. And uh, on one particular day, Katie and I decided to go on a hike at a local state park. So we, we begin our hike in the woods, and pretty early on in this hike, 
we come to a crossroads. We come to uh, an area where it's not exactly clear what legitimately is the path. Um, There are two possible paths from my perspective, from our perspective in that moment. And so we were faced with a decision. Which path do we go down? Now, I'll come back to this at the end of the sermon and let you know uh, whether we chose rightly or not. But I want you to just stay here with me for a moment. And I want you to think about this situation. Probably a situation that you have been in before, maybe in walking through the woods and you come to a, a spot where you're not exactly sure what legitimately is the path, or there are two legitimate paths set before you and you have to make a decision. Maybe this has happened to you while driving. Um, do I turn right or do I turn left? And uh, depending on your decision, it has different implications, right? And when it comes to everyday life, we are confronted with these kinds of decisions all the time where there are two possibilities or possibly even uh, multiple possibilities that we have to choose between. We, we know this situation well. Uh, it is a standard for living life in this world. Well, we come to such a crossroads, or I should say that the writer of Proverbs um, creates such a crossroads for us this morning. And we're going to be confronted with two different paths, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to um, think about each of these paths and the implications of our decisions in terms of what does it look like for our lives if we choose the path of wisdom and what does it look like if we choose the path of folly. So let's begin with the way of wisdom or the path of wisdom. Now, we, especially if you look at verses 20 through 22 of chapter 1, uh, that is printed for you in the worship guide, you um, learn that this is the first place uh, in the book of Proverbs, it's going to be the first of many in which wisdom is personified. And here we meet uh, Lady Wisdom. A few moments we're going to meet Lady Folly. Uh, But here, the writer of Proverbs is personifying wisdom for us. And here's the invitation that is extended, the invitation that is set out before us. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. What we know uh, right off the bat here is that Lady Wisdom is a street preacher, right? Lady Wisdom is a street preacher. Now, that may um, be surprising to you uh, when you first hear that. And the reason it might be surprising to you is because when you think about faith, we talked about this some last week, when you think about faith, when you, talk about, when you think about spirituality, It may be that you can find that to the walls of a church building like this. So for you, you typically think of your faith, of spirituality, of that which is practiced, that which is talked about, that which is experienced, primarily within the walls of a church, or maybe even your home. But you don't necessarily connect your faith to the everyday stuff of life. And here we are, we meet wisdom. 
We meet Lady Wisdom. And where is she? She's in the thick of it in the city. She's in the marketplace at the city gates. Why? Why does wisdom go out to the street, to the market, to the city gates? It's because that's where the people are. And what we learn here um, about wisdom, particularly um, God's wisdom and his desire for us, is that God pursues us with his wisdom. God is the wise one who wants to make us wise, and he pursues us with his wisdom. He does not remain in the temple, so to speak, but he comes after us. He comes into the, city, into the midst of the city with the invitation to be wise, with the invitation to receive, uh, to respond to his wisdom. God's wisdom is not for a secluded life. God's wisdom is for, as we keep saying, the everyday stuff of life. I want you to now, um, well, you don't have to turn there. You can to Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to hear more of this invitation from Lady Wisdom in Proverbs chapter 9. And um, we have these verses on slides, um, so you'll be able to see them up there as well. Proverbs chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Wisdom has built her house. She has honed her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread. And drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. This is an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation into Intimacy. This is the way that wisdom is being presented to us here in not only Proverbs chapter 9, but as we saw in Proverbs chapter 1 as well. Lady wisdom is hospitable, right? She's hospitable. She's creating a meal, creating a banquet, a feast with the best meat, with wine that she has mixed uh, herself, and she invites us to this feast of wisdom we could say. And notice the implications of going down this path, this path of wisdom. We get a little bit of insight into this in verse 11. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. What are the implications of this path? What happens to us when we go down the path of wisdom? We flourish. This path is life-giving to us, right? We said last week that the purpose of wisdom is to help us to flourish 
And that's what we see here. The way of wisdom, the path of wisdom is a life-giving way. It is a life-giving path. The reason is, is because the way of wisdom is the way of shalom. All right, I just threw out a, a, a Hebrew word for you, shalom. What is shalom? Shalom means peace. Very basically, very literally, it means peace. But when we tend to think of peace, we think of it in terms of maybe just simply the absence of conflict, the absence of war. But the Bible's definition of shalom is much more robust, much more holistic. One author defines it this way. It's universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. It's God's design for life. It's his intentions for flourishing. It's everything working in harmony the way that it was intended to be. Genesis 1. We referred to this last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What we learn at the very beginning of the biblical story is that God created everything, that God created people, places, and things. And as we continue uh, in the story of the Bible, what we also learn is that what has happened as a result is that God's wisdom is built into what he has made. God's wisdom is built into his creation. And so when we talk about walking down the path of wisdom or the way of wisdom, what we're really talking about is walking in line with shalom, with the way that God intended things to be. And that is why when we veer off the path of wisdom, when we go down the path of folly, things don't function the way that they were meant to. There's conflict. There's remorse, there's shame, there's guilt, um, there's uh, bad consequences, uh, there's damage done to yourself, damage done to other people. These are some of the implications of the path of folly that we'll talk in greater detail about in a few moments. But what we're talking about is reality. Reality. The way life works. And God wants us to live in alignment with reality. Now, this may be, sound different to you because it doesn't sound spiritual necessarily, um, but remember, uh, we talked about this last week, uh, one of our tendencies, particularly in the Western church, in America especially, is that we create this divide between um, categories that we might label spiritual or sacred, and then over here, um, what we would maybe label as secular or, you know, the, the real stuff of life outside of spirituality. But the Bible does not create that divide. They're one in the same according to the biblical vision. So when we are practically relating to God's creation in the way that we are meant to, that is highly spiritual. When we're living practical life um, in the way that God designed for us to live, that is spiritual, they're one in the same. We're learning to relate to the world that God has made in the way that he has created us to relate to it. Uh, one author named Frederick Buechner um, says this, that the Bible is not first a book of morals. 
It's a book of truth about the way life is. That's what the Bible is, primarily. It's a book about the truth about the way life is. And obviously, we can derive a morality from the biblical uh, story. We are meant to. It's there. But as he said carefully, that's not first what it is. First, it is a book about reality. It's a book about what is true. And as we engage with that, we begin to live moral lives, and we can construct a morality from that. So God's wisdom is built into creation, and our job is to discern it in our everyday living. So the wisdom with which God made the world is on offer to us. And toward the end of last week's sermon, we, we talked about this, that that we, we should hear that, that God, the wisdom with which God made the world is on offer to us. That should be life-giving to us. That should be uh, rejuvenating to us. Because the wisdom with which God made the world is actually really practically on offer to us. What we want deep down inside is what God wants for us. And what do we want deep down inside? We want to live life in the way that we're meant to live it. We want to relate to the, stu- the people, places, and things, the stuff of creation in the way that we are meant to because we have had glimpses. We've had experiences that when we do that, we feel like, whoa, I'm finding my stride in life. I'm flourishing. This is what I was made for. I want more. I want more. And that is what is on offer to us. And that is what Lady Wisdom is inviting us into here in both Proverbs 1 and uh, chapter 9 as well. Now, let's define wisdom again. We're going to need to do this probably every week. Um, And we have this up on a slide. Uh, The definition of wisdom that we are working with is um, not that. There it is. Um, Skill in the art of godly living. Skill in the art of godly living. It's both a skill and an art. And wisdom is not simply knowledge. As I said last week, we all know uh, people who know a lot about a lot of stuff, but they are unwise, right? We don't like them. They don't relate well to others. They're constantly hurting others, that sort of thing. Or they just simply don't know how to utilize the knowledge. You see, what the Bible is after is us not just simply knowing stuff, but knowing how to apply it, knowing how to actually use it in all of the various situations of life. So it's a know-how kind of knowledge. So to be wise is to know reality. To be wise is to know reality, to be able to discern it, to know what is true, but then to be able to speak, act, and live accordingly in alignment with it, okay? A discerning person notices things, don't they? A discerning person makes observations. A discerning person is attentive. They pick up on things. Uh, They have an attentive respect for reality. They're constantly curious. They're constantly learning. And that's why wisdom is really the spiritual counterpart to common sense. Like, we're all familiar with common sense. You know, we'll say that um, kind of thing often. Oh, well, that's just common sense. And what do we mean by that? 
Well, that should be um, commonly known by everybody. They, they, they should know that. And wisdom, um, as it comes to us in Proverbs, is really the spiritual counterpart to that. It's skill in the art of godly living. It's leaning into how God made us to live in alignment with the stuff of creation. Now let's talk about the way of folly, the path of folly. Uh, Let me read for us Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Here we have the path or the way of folly outlined for us, according to Lady Folly now. And notice that this too is an invitation into relationship. It's an invitation into Intimacy. This is not abstract stuff that we're talking about. Whether we give ourselves, um, even with daily decisions, whether we give ourselves to wisdom or folly is an intimate thing. It has significant implications for your life, for my life, and you don't need me to tell you this. Why is it that we struggle with regret and remorse so deeply? It's because we, there are so many areas of our lives, so many Uh, areas of our past that we can look back on and say, I made a foolish decision. I chose the wrong path, and I'm continuing to experience the consequences of that. This This is intimate stuff. It's not abstract. And so this invitation is one into relationship, one into intimacy. Lady Folly is also creating a meal. She is presenting herself as hospitable as well, but notice characteristics of this meal. We could say that it is an impoverished meal. It is a meal that doesn't really fill us. It's a meal that doesn't satisfy us. What are we told about this meal? Um, We're told that in verse 13, uh, we're actually going down a little bit more. Verse 17, stolen water is sweet. Lady Wisdom is offering wine that she's mixed herself. Lady Folly is offering what? Stolen water. Who wants stolen water? But that's part of the dynamics of wisdom and folly. Sometimes the line can be so subtle. And there are so many times in our lives where we give into the craving for stolen water. It appears to be more than it actually is. We think that, all right, if I go down this path a little bit, now this, will, this is getting more into temptation, which will be our topic in two weeks, but we, we think to ourselves, all right, if I just go down the path a little bit, I can get some of whatever it is. And what do we learn? What do we find out? It's nothing but stolen water. And it, sometimes it does fill us temporarily. That's an important point here. 
There is much sin and folly that we can give, our, give ourselves to in life that feels good in the moment. That has to be said, because if I were standing up here and saying that uh, any time that you make a foolish decision or you give into to sin, um, that you're going to feel awful, it's not going to feel good, it actually can be quite the opposite. And that's why this danger is always lurking. And so we might feel fulfilled, we might feel satisfied in the moment, but the consequences will eventually come. And again, you, you, right now, you're probably thinking of all kinds of examples from your own life in which that reflects um, what I'm talking about. Stolen water is what Lady Folly is offering. Bread eaten in secret. So here, some buzzwords for me that um, indicate danger. Stolen, secret, I mean, think about how much of our, our sin and our folly is done in secret. These are the words that Lady Folly is using in her invitation. And ultimately, where does this path lead? Very clear. But the one who, um, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol or hell, or death. Death is at the end of this path. Death is at the end of this way. Because walking down the path of folly, giving ourselves to folly day in and day out in all of our decisions, it diminishes us. It dehumanizes us. Why? Because we were not made for it. We were made, again, to walk in alignment with how God has made reality. Folly is to do the opposite. Folly is to walk in the opposite direction. And it always, as we've said, brings about devastating consequences. Um, did you hear uh, the other night, uh, we were in our ministry team uh, meeting yesterday, and I was told about this, about the street artist Banksy um, in Britain, um, about the artwork, art piece that sold for over a million dollars. And then immediately after it sold, it self-destructed. Look up this story. It's incredible. Um, now, obviously, it was uh, a, a hoax. It was planned. But imagine the, the, the person buying this artwork. They think that they're getting one thing, and then immediately after it's theirs, and it was expensive, it's not what they thought. It self-destructs. That is a good analogy for us of how folly works. We see it. We see the invitation, and it looks appealing. But then when we give ourselves to it, we realize, oh, no. It is not what I thought. In the moment, the experience of it is very different. Looking back at chapter 1, that's in the worship guide, verses 20 through 22, uh, focusing in on verse 22, we meet three characters or three, we get three labels um, that are within the category of folly. So words that are used somewhat interchangeably, but they mean different things. We meet the simple ones. We meet the scoffers and we meet the foolish. These are all um, somewhat, and, uh, somewhat different. Who or what is a simple one? A simple one is 
someone who is naive, who is easily deceived, who's inexperienced. Maybe you would say that this describes you, um, that you, your intentions aren't always bad, but you find that you're often gullible and you are easily enticed. That is the simple. The scoffer takes it to a whole nother level. The scoffer is more aggressive, more arrogant. The scoffer is a deliberate troublemaker. We would say that scoffers are bad influences. And then lastly, the fool is thick-headed. The fool is stubborn. The fool doesn't listen. The fool knows better. I would encourage you to think about those categories and um, maybe think about in your worst moments, which of those do you tend to be most often? These are all under the category of folly. Folly can take on different forms and expressions. If, you were, um, if you've been going through uh, Mike Tolliver's school discipleship class on generosity and stewardship, you heard him make this statement that I've lost my place in my notes, so I might get it wrong, but I found it. Not all folly is sin, but all sin is folly, all right? Not all folly is sin, but all sin is folly. So there are plenty of decisions that we can make. Let me share um, one that I repeatedly make, and I'm trying to grow in and, and, and learn wisdom in. Um, I think I'm a pretty good painter. Um, I like to paint. I've painted most of our, our, our house at this point, but I don't have the patience for preparation. I despise preparation. Because sometimes I think, if I do the necessary prep work, it might take as much uh, time as it's going to take me to actually do the project. And so I make shortcuts, or I tell myself, I'm going to be really careful this time, and I'm not going to let paint drip or, or drop anywhere on the floor. And then guess what happens repeatedly? After I complete the project, I sp have to spend an hour or more cleaning paint off of the floor. And every time it's happened, I tell myself, I am not going to do this again. This is the last time. And yet, it has happened repeatedly. That is not sin, right? Please tell me that's not sin. That's not sin, but it is folly. Now, on the other hand, all sin is definitely folly. How would we define sin? Well, this is where our, our definition of shalom um, comes back into play and is really helpful. Um, if shalom is God's creation flourishing, functioning um, it, the way that it was meant to, shalom is our graffitiing of God's creation. It's, it's deliberately going against the grain of God's design. It's making a mess of people, places, and things uh, around us. As one author says, sin is both wrong and dumb. All right? Sin is both wrong and dumb. My, uh, my project, uh, my failure to prep is dumb, but it's not necessarily wrong. But sin, all sin, is both wrong, dumb, wrong and dumb. How do we walk in the way of wisdom? This is where I, I, I want to wrap up. How do we choose rightly? How do we choose the path of wisdom and not the path of folly? But before we go, that, go down there, um, I want you to think about something. 
And it, it could be that as you sit here, you would think of yourself more as what we could say a moral relativist, meaning that you kind of have this, you approach, you have this approach to life where your thought process is, well, whatever is true for you, that's great, that's good, but this is true for me, and so we should just pursue our own truth. That actually causes um, the world to flourish um, in the best possible way. But I, I want to challenge that. Why is it that when it comes to certain actions, particularly crimes, that we use words such as senseless? I mean, that, that's a common one, right? We, we, I, I mean, I googled that um, this past week, and lots of articles from all over the country about crimes that were committed um, include quotes from people in the article that it's such a shame, it was such a senseless act. Or we could use, interchangeably use foolish act. Where do we get this from? That's where I'm going with this. Where do we get that response? Where do we get that reaction from? The truth of the matter is, is that we know that certain things are just simply wrong. And they are senseless. They're foolish. They're absurd. Um, Many of you are familiar with the name C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis um, went on to become a, a Christian apologist who defended the Christian faith, wrote children's books. Um, but for uh, much of his life, before converting to Christianity, he was an atheist. And as he began um, spending time with Christians, and they started enlarging um, his ability to think about the faith and what Christianity is, he said that one thing for him was this exact idea that we're talking about. How was it that he was able to identify that certain things are just simply broken, fractured, that they are wrong? And he asked this question, how do we know um, that a, a, a line is crooked unless we have some idea of a straight line? We all have some idea of a straight line. That's why we are so quick to say things like, that was a senseless act, that was a foolish act. Or we are so quick to label certain things as obviously, definitely wrong. It's because a straight line has been built into creation. We can't help but to rub up against reality in that way. But how do we go down the path of wisdom? How do we avoid the path of folly? I want to direct your attention to verse 7. Um, of chapter 1. That's the first verse printed in the the worship guide there. It's a verse that is repeated um, somewhere in chapter 9 as well, um, where I read from. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs tells us that this is the entry point into wisdom the fear of the Lord. And as we talked about last week, it doesn't mean dread. It means awe. It means respect. It means that God is our most basic fundamental building block in life, that we start with God and then go from there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This relationship to God, because that's ultimately what um, is being referred to here, is a right relationship with and to God. This right relationship is one in which it's not just simply a doorway, but it's a pathway. 
So that word beginning, um, it's not just that we enter in this way and then it's something else beyond. It's both the doorway and the pathway. It's the key uh, element from beginning to end on this journey, the fear of the Lord. It's the starting point. How do we build this fear of the Lord? And why would we even want to? First, I want to encourage you with this. I'm going to guess that there are some of you who are here this morning and your consciences consciences are especially sensitive right now because of maybe foolish decisions that you made this past week or foolish decisions that you've made recently. And you are reaping the consequences of that. And you have shame and guilt about that. The fear of the Lord is an invitation into newness of life. It's an invitation into a new start, a new beginning. That you no longer have to identify yourself according to your folly. You no longer have to um, define yourself by your folly and all of your fullest decisions. You can begin to define yourself according to relationship with God, who He is, and what He says about who you are. This is incredibly important. This is really the heart of the Christian faith. And it really is the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of all of our folly through faith in Jesus. I mean, think about it in this way. When Jesus gave himself for us on the cross, he absorbed all of our sin and folly upon himself so that we would not have to carry the burden of that any longer. And so by entering into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, You no longer have to be defined by the foolishness of your past. You can now become defined by God's wisdom and his the the invitation of lady wisdom to you to walk in newness of life in ways that are, are different. But how do we do this? We have to slow down. We have to slow down. Remember what we said earlier. A wise person is a discerning person. A wise person makes observations. They are attentive. They see certain things. In order to be that kind of person, you have to slow down. If we're going to cultivate a love for reality, as God has defined it, if we're going to cultivate a love for shalom, for what God designed and what has designed and what he intends for people, places, and things, we have to slow down because there are so many things competing for our loves. And that's, that's really um, where this brings us. It's an issue of what do we love. And th- this is why these voices in Proverbs are so strong. The voice, the invitation of Lady Wisdom, and the voice and invitation of Lady Folly. It uses the word seductive of the voice of Lady Folly. They're after our loves. They're after the core of who we are. Remember what we said last week. The Bible is more focused on the kinds of people we are becoming than on the kinds of things that we are doing. It's not because the things that we do are unimportant. They're very important. But remember um, the statement that we made. Wise people do wise things. Wise people do wise things. 
And the wisdom literature is pursuing us. God, through the wisdom literature, is pursuing us to shape us into a certain kind of person, a wise person, a discerning person. And if we are going to respond and submit to that process, we have to slow down. All right, remember I shared with you about walking through the woods of Maine. We did get lost, Damon. Thanks. There you go. We got lost. No. We got lost. That is what happened. Um, we, we chose the wrong path. Turned out that it actually wasn't a path. It appeared to be a path, but it wasn't a path, and it led us out to a road, and um, we, had to, we, we, we wasted 20, 25 minutes um, and had to come back. Now, this example, it's not an example of folly. Um, I actually should be careful to say that because think about what the implication would be if I'm saying that's an example of folly. I had to spend 25 extra minutes with my wife walking in the woods. It's not an example of foolishness or folly. What I'm getting at is the reason that we failed to see that this wasn't actually a path because when we came back, it was one of those, oh, the path is clearly designated. We just weren't observing. Now, again, it was okay in that particular situation, but this happens to us in life. We come to so many places um, in our daily lives where we're confronted with these decisions, these paths, and we choose wrongly. We choose unwisely simply because we didn't slow down. We didn't observe. We weren't attentive. And this is why it's about relationship with and to God. See, God is always present to us. But are we making ourselves present to him? Are we being attentive to his presence? Are we being attentive to his ways and what he wants for us? He's given us his spirit. You know, if we are if we consider ourselves to be a Christian, the Bible tells us that we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us, and the Holy Spirit leads us into wisdom. But we have to slow down, to discern, to make observations, and to be aware of God's presence. It's really dependence, isn't it? It's dependence. And this is why this is so incredibly difficult. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In our sinful nature, we run from that. We want to be the beginning of wisdom. And so the gospel, the good news of Christianity, there's no way around it. It's humbling. It's humbling. Because we have to come before God and say, I can't do life on my own. I can't figure out your creation apart from you. I keep blowing it. I keep going down the path of folly. It's humbling. We have to admit that we need the help of God. But when we do that, it's hard, it's painful. Everything in us uh, wants to resist it. But when we do that, we begin a new journey of freedom. Because while it's hard in the beginning, and it remains hard as well, but what happens is a huge burden is lifted off of us. And we get to say, wait a second, 
What this actually means is, yes, I want to be self-centered and self-absorbed. I want to pretend like I can manage life and navigate life apart from help from the outside, but I know that this is constantly nagging me, that it's constantly weighing on me because the reality is I, I, I can't do it well. And so we get to admit that and we get to receive that help and surrender and say, God, thank you. Thank you for this invitation. Increase my fear of you. You are the master of life. You're the one who made the world. Teach me how to navigate it. And ultimately, ultimately, the path of wisdom is the path of following Jesus Christ. And this is where the Gospels take us. John chapter 1. We looked at this passage in our flourishing series back in the, the spring. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That word, word, logos, you, you could basically translate it as wisdom. Jesus embodies God's wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. And that's why Jesus can say to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. There's grace for your folly. There's grace for your foolishness and sin. I make you new, but follow me. Because as you follow me more closely, I will shape you into the person that you were created to be and that deep down inside you long to be. A person who is wise and as a result does wise things. Let's pray to Jesus now. Jesus, make us wise for your glory, for our good, for the good of the world. I pray this morning that as we consider our folly and our sin, that you would renew us in the forgiveness of sins, even as we come to the, the Lord's table here in a few moments. Renew us by your strength, and I pray that you would Help us to walk in step with your spirit. Give us a vision of life as you intend it to be. And deepen our love for it so that we might find ourselves, give it, find ourselves giving more and more of our attention and our desires to what you want for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.